I think the danger that we tend to run as people analytics teams is that we're not willing to take slightly bolder stances and say, hey, we have a better collective picture of the labor market. We have a better collective picture of what enterprise trends and behaviors are like. We need to give strategic guidance and not just be turning over data products. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, everybody. This is Ben, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Some of our new hiring research is out. We just published that report recently, and the report will be linked in the show notes if you can go check that out. A couple quick snippets from that that are telling a bigger story. Number one, we heard that 83% of talent leaders have said that hiring has gone from this HR talent level priority to a business or operational level priority. And because of that, they're looking to spend more. They're looking to leverage more technology. We have a lot of data in there on the tools they're looking to use, which technologies they're prioritizing for hiring, all those kinds of things. In addition, we have data from candidates as well. So we looked in there on the top reasons that candidates are ghosting, for instance, including some recommendations in that report on how to mitigate that based on the actual research. So there's a really good set of data in there and love for you to check that report out. Again, it'll be linked in the show notes. I'll be presenting this data throughout the fall at various events in New York, San Diego, Chicago, and elsewhere. So I'd love to see you at one of those if you're out and about. New research as well is underway on things like employee development and learning, what's happening there, what's the trends, how is it evolving over time. We're also looking at some data on frontline workers. So really exploring how they perceive the workplace, what their priorities are. What we see pretty consistently is that a lot of the perspectives in the headlines reflect what's happening for remote workers or for office workers, for corporate workers, things like that. And we're looking to really understand what's happening for those frontline and hourly staff. They've been in the spotlight more in the last two years doing work that required them to be physically present. And so we're going to explore what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what their priorities are, how they look for value in an employment relationship and what matters most there. Frankly, the second half of 2022 is going to continue at this incredible pace, but I'm so excited to be along for the ride with all of you. So today's discussion here on the podcast is with Zach Frank, who heads up people analytics and AI for Aramark, a company with approximately 280,000 employees globally. And he and his team are doing some incredible work on really leveraging data to tell better stories. And so Zach and I are going to talk about the importance of analytics. We'll talk about what it takes to leverage them well in the business. And we'll also dive into his thoughts on how People teams can have more impact. It's going to be a great discussion. Before we get to today's episode, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is supported by Workplace from Meta. You know, everybody's talking about the metaverse these days, right? But Workplace from Meta is different. The clue is in the name. Workplace is a business communication tool. It uses features like instant messaging, video calls to help people share information on a day-to-day basis. Think Facebook, but for your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work. A future in which your job isn't just something you do, but something that you truly experience. A future in which we'll feel more present, all together, connected, and productive. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com slash future. That's workplace.com slash future. 
And now let's jump into the conversation with Zach Frank for today's episode. I'm really excited because I had the chance to meet today's guest virtually a few months back. And we were both on a panel together, sharing ideas, things like that. And the more he talked, the more I wanted to listen because he had some really good insights and ideas. And so I invited him to come on and share with us today. So I have Zach Frank with us. He's going to dive into conversations around technology and automation and AI and all those kinds of things that all of you know I care about. But we're going to we're going to get some good pr- perspectives and expertise from outside my little bubble and hear from someone who's knee deep in this every day. So Zach, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Ben, thanks. And thanks for that great intro. Absolutely. Now you got to live up to it, my friend. So good luck. To yeah. You. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I should have been looking at the downside. <laughs> oh yes. The higher you are, the farther you have to fall. So <laughs> the easiest question is the first one. So take a minute, tell us a little more about who you are and what you do, please. Yeah. I'm Zach Frank. I live in Nashville, Tennessee with my awesome family. I do people analytics for a company called Airmark, which is a pretty large food and facilities services vendor. I have a background that ranges into other types of data and analytics and also goes a lot into operations and automation. Worked in cross data analytics, automation and technology in logistics, in healthcare, in operations, and now in two different specific industry settings around retail services and manufacturing. So I've been very fortunate to see a lot of different things and do a lot of things wrong and learn a lot. I tell everybody the things that I do well, I did wrong the first time. So I love hearing that from you. So just, hey, this is... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is beyond true. Especially in the world of analytics, I was going to ask you like why that of everything, but I think that's part of it is I want to try things. I want to ask hard questions and sometimes you don't get the answer, but sometimes you blow things out of the water because you do get the answer and it's a surprising one. And so I don't want to put... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very well. So I think some of it goes to I'm just a naturally curious person. And so whenever I was working in jobs that were further away from analytics, I would always just want to know, oh, how's that doing? What's the data on that? I wonder how many people do that versus don't do that. And so then I also really enjoyed the technical aspects in terms of data engineering and things like that, and actually getting in and playing with data and finding those answers for myself. So the combination of those things led to, as I got more opportunities to move closer and closer to that space, I have, and I've been very grateful for it. It's, so this wasn't like a childhood dream. I want to be a numbers nerd when I grow up. <laughs> it was just a, no, a actually completely the opposite. I, yes, I almost failed my Excel class in college because I was planning on going into like nonprofit management and thought, oh, I have no need of this, which even in itself was not correct and was dumb and immature of me. But looking at where I am now, I thought this is very far away from the dream that I thought I had, but I love this work and would have to be dragged kicking and screaming away from it. Well, I don't remember I told you this when we connected previously, but my father-in-law worked at Aramark for, I think, 20, 25 years and retired from oh my God. So, yes, it might be a name that not everybody out there hears the name and knows what it is, but he drove the truck right, every day. And so I, I know exactly yeah. some of the, I know some of the work well that they do and got to see him do that for the first years that I, I knew him personally. So that was fine. Um, okay. So, again, we could go in so many directions with this. One of the things that we talked about when you and I were together previously on that event, just as a way to kick the conversation off a little bit, is the work you get to do around analytics also exposes you to things like automation, right? And it exposes you to things like AI. 
And I'd love for you to just cast a big net. How do you see these things fitting together? Do you think this is a, an enhancement to the work that we do within HR in the people space? Is this something that's changed jobs? Like, that's a huge question, and there's 10 ways you could take that. I just love to get your broad perspective on that as someone who, again, has their has their hands in this stuff every day. What's your perspective on on what this is doing and how it's changing what we're doing today? What I like to say, how I think of it, and really how I see other people that I talk to who are practitioners in the space far more so than I am, is that the closer you work with AI, the less you are concerned about it taking your job and the immediacy of that. That's the first thing, right, is it's not, it's going to completely transform and remove people specifically from HR or from a lot of other places in any short amount of time. But like a lot of technologies, as much as we may overestimate the short-term consequences or gains, we also tend to underestimate the long-term gains. And so I think there are a lot of things that will happen over a much larger time scale. Thinking of people who aren't even in the workforce right now, where the transformations will be more significant in terms of what work is available to do. And I'll give two examples, one outside of the HR space and then one in it. OpenAI has just released this. Have you seen the Dolly bot yet that they're I doing? Not yet. The things they do are oh my gosh. on the borderline of amazing and creepy. Yeah, so that is exactly what this is. So you type in a natural language description of a picture that you want, and this bot will produce a picture based on that description. But like a lot of the other ones that I've seen before were dreamy mixed images that weren't really clear or didn't really make a lot of sense. These genuinely look like a person put them together. It's complete formed ideas with distinct elements that match the description that was given. It's absolutely incredible. That's really cool. And if I was an artist, I might have an initial flare up of, oh my gosh, that's going to take my job. But it's not, right? Like those aren't the kind of people who buy art are not going to be willing to just go to this AI and get a descriptive presentation of it. It will probably take away a lot of lower lower cost commissions that artists may have been doing, but it's not going to fundamentally transform and overturn the art scene. So think about a similar example in HR. Most of the things that we're looking at there aren't going to take away at least the number of jobs that are there. What it's going to do is allow people to focus on more strategic, higher value, actual people to people work rather than things like going into a system and clicking a button because there's not an automated process. So where those changes will be, it's not like we're going to see a significant decrease in headcount in the HR space or anything like that. It's going to be more interesting work that is out there and needs done. It's just nobody can get to it right now because the I-9s have to be filed. Wow, goodness. And everyone out there shivered and had chills down their spine. Yeah. <laughs> I-9 just now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was probably a little too severe. I should have oh, used less intense language. I'm we, sorry. You, we needed the the content warning or whatever in advance of that. One of the things that is interesting to me is I've been having this conversation. It sounds like you have as well on this. Hey, it's going to be taking some of this work that we're doing and allowing us to be freed up to do more valuable stuff. And I've made the argument for a long time that automation itself, though, doesn't create new value. It's what you do with that freed up time. Because if Zach suddenly gets five hours extra in his week because he implements this really cool tool that automates some things he was doing, and then he spends that five hours playing whatever kids play these days, Candy Crush or like that used to be the thing. I don't know what it is now. Uh, Farmville, that takes me way back. But if they're, <laughs> if they're doing those things, that's not creating new value. Automation didn't do anything. 
it's what we then spend that time on. So if we're focusing on building a better strategy or developing a culture that really aligns with what we want our business to look like in the future and those kinds of things, we can get to those things. And that's what really pumps me up about it. That's why I talk about it. I write about it. It's not for its own sake, but for that sort of thing, because I know that you have had this love of analytics and it's, it's drawn you in. I have this love of making work more meaningful for people. And even that mm -hmm. includes all of us who do HR related work day to day as sometimes our work paradoxically is the feels the least meaningful because we're just churning away at I-9s and other kinds of stuff like you're talking about there and not doing anything that feels significant. So that's what it really pump, pumps me up about these things is it truly does enable that. We have some really fun data that backed that up from our study last year. And there's one of the things that also factors into this is the fact that right now, the number of job postings the companies looking to hire HR people is multiples higher than what they expect yeah. to be based on projected growth because companies are saying, wait a minute, suddenly we realize that investing in people might make them actually stick around. <laughs> so yeah. surprise. Now we've got to do something with them. Yes. And so they're trying to hire more HR people when they can find them. And there's a shortage of recruiters. I would imagine there's probably going to be a shortage of HR people if there isn't already just because companies are trying to trying to hire them faster than they can be created. And so there's some, again, some fun opportunities there for us to really focus on and look for opportunities to do those things that, that matter the most to the people, to the company, and even to us where those kind of circles overlap, hopefully. Yeah, I do. I think I would push back a little bit in that I generally agree with you in the sense that just doing these things will not create the ability to take advantage of the new value, but owing to value for the automations in and of themselves. I will say that in a lot of places, what you are getting or what you can get is processes that are faster, more accurate, and in some cases allow you to provide services that you're not able to today. So something like staying in better touch with candidates or with employees when they ask a question by automating some of your interaction services with an interaction bot or, or something like that. So yeah, this this the attaching and going after that higher value work is not automatic, but I do think there is inherent good in a lot of the automations that are out there on the table. So that was the pushback for me putting you up on a pedestal at the beginning, right? I think that's, that's <laughs> I would agree with that. I think that's a really great point. And I do take that back. I would agree with you that because it's more consistent, because it's more, it's less error prone than me over here pushing buttons or trying to hand jam something in or move it from one system to another. Every opportunity where I put my hand on something is a chance for it to get messed up, essentially. And so if I- Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now on the flip side, you're completely right in that that new space, that new time that you have does not automatically create value. That you are 100% correct. All right, we're back on the friend, ter friend turf now, so. Yeah. <laughs> good, all right, recovered. I like okay, it. Okay, goodness. Okay, I was worried there for a minute. So those out there listening, I would imagine that you, based on your interests, your natural inclination, your curiosity, you have started marching down this path. You've, and you said it earlier, like this, there's no chance of this taking over our jobs right now, but I would imagine you started looking at ways to add automation into different processes. And we talked about that in an abstract sense so far. Yes, it can be done. And yes, it does add value. But for the people listening into this, these other HR leaders that are thinking, that sounds interesting, but it also sounds like a really tough nut to crack. Where would you recommend mm. that they start thinking about, look in this area, this is a flag for a red flag for a place that is prone to automation, you should lean in there, or that's an example of something that you should probably not try to because it's going to cost too much or it's going to take the, too much of the human out or 
right? Are there other kind of boundaries on either end of this is a good example, this is a bad example for things that we should be looking to automate? Yeah, yeah, I think there are lots of good examples. I think somebody who's in that place, one of the first things that I would say is take a breath. Like there is a lot more that's there and you don't have to do everything all at once and you don't have to go for the most advanced and incredible solution. You know what things are frustrating about your job, what things are frustrating about HR and people management at your company. So start there, start with the use cases that you're aware of and then start looking at the tools that you have available to you. So a great example of this, I have a very skilled, very incredible team. My team members are terrific. There was one of them who had been manually running a report for about a year and a half. And we were talking about it one day and I just pushed back in a you know, hoping I had done this at some point before, but said something that I just can't believe that that can't be automated from the system. And so they went in and looked at the system again and discovered, oh my gosh, I don't know if it was always here, but there's a scheduling tool that's here now. And so that was a task that could be automated. And we don't, when we talk about AI, because we have these grand ideas of like general artificial intelligence, we tend not to think about lower form aspects of that, like basic automation. And so what we, that is kind of this perfect example of there was a friction, a current friction that someone is aware of in their work. And they looked at the tools that they had that were available to them and said, oh, you know what? I can automate this. I can make this easier. I can make this faster. I can let the computer do it so that I can do other things. And I know that it's done correctly. Start there. Start with what, start with where your frictions are and look at the technologies that are around you. I think looking at the far side of that, because you don't want to stay there forever, and let's say you don't have the technologies that are on hand to do it, you probably you don't have to and probably should not build these things on your own. In most circumstances, it is much better to go find a vendor, find a partner who can help you do this. The even the companies that we think of as having more in-house resources, both from a financial perspective, a tech perspective, a skills perspective, a lot of them specifically in the HR space still will go out and work with vendors just because there's so much more value there. So you think about something like choosing the right candidate. So there was a major a computer parts manufacturer who definitely has this kind of skilling, has all kinds of data scientists, has access to these incredible mainframes and all these things like this. They were trying to get better about automated predictions for who to hire. And what they pretty quickly realized was, oh, even if we can build all our algorithms in a way that really work, we can operationally deploy the process in a way that's sustainable and meaningful, still, our volume of hiring is a fraction of a percent of the total US hiring. And so we only know what we know. And so even just from a data perspective, it was much more beneficial for them to go and work with a partner, even though they technically could build the solution in-house. I'd pull it down on the other side too and say the, the, the stepping stones, the places that you can begin are a lot closer than you think they are. And the endpoints to do the really incredible stuff are also not as far away as you think they are. I'm taking notes over here because I think there's so many good points on this. And I love taking you back to something super simple, super easy, right? Running a report or doing one of those things that we do every week, every day on a regular basis that maybe we don't have to do it the same way. I remember hearing this phenomenal story from one of the companies we work with that had worked with 
want to say American Airlines on some of their reporting and stuff. And they said, we, they found, they started watching them kind of doing a little bit of a time study, almost the old time studies where they're looking at what are you doing day to day that we could take off your plate. And they found that every single Monday they're running the same report on employee leave or something like that. And so they said, okay, from now on, because you've done that for the last six weeks, every single week you're doing this over and over again. So next week when you come in, we're going to have that sitting in your inbox automatically and you get to double check it and hit a button and it goes out to the three people you've been sending it to every other week to report out on. And after you've done that for a few weeks, if, you, if you're happy with that, we'll just automatically start pulling it and sending it to all those people on your behalf because they've got some actions to take. It kicks off certain workflows, all that other stuff. And they said it was, it got, it got to the point where they're saying, okay, at first you're, they were a little worried. They were a little concerned. Like you talked about earlier, like, what is this really going to do for me? If this is doing part of my job. And they're like, they didn't even miss it after the second or third week because they've moved on to, to these other things they're focusing on. And it just became other people thought they were just super timely and on top of things. And it was not, they weren't even touching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah everybody wins. We'll be right back to We're Only Human in just a moment. Workplace is a business communication tool from Meta. Think Facebook, but for your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which we all feel more present, connected, and productive every day. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com future. That's workplace.com future. And now, back to our conversation with Zach Frank. I'm so glad you went on the other end, too, and said, hey, there are some teams, really smart people, don't try to build it yourself. The expertise in someone that does this for tens of thousands or even more hires, they start to get really clear insights and things that are so much better than what we could build even if we have a really sharp group of people. I always advise people like, you didn't, did you start out? Did you plan to be a hiring technology builder? No, we're a manufacturer, we're a whatever else. Like then, then manufacture, then be great at that. Don't yeah. try to do something. You don't pull your own teeth. You go to the dentist. You shouldn't be trying to build this thing yourself. It's not gonna, you may be able to get it done, but it's not going to be nearly as good of a job as it would be from something that's purpose-built to solve that problem. Yes, absolutely. Oh, oh, goodness. All right, so we're continuing down this path, taking this logical steps here and there. You have the benefit, you've already shared some stories, both within your four walls and outside that you picked up from conversations with other peers probably in the space. What is something that companies get wrong when they start down this path? It may, you just gave us kind of an example probably there of don't try to build it. I think that's a good example, but is there anything else they get wrong when it comes to whether it's broader analytics or some of this automation stuff we're talking about here, either one of those areas? I think it's difficult to overstate the importance of not just that you don't have to build it in-house, but you probably shouldn't. So I think people may think, oh, no, no, I think we can take it on. And I would push back there that I think there are a lot of good reasons uh, not to do it, but it's actually far more of a detriment and a danger to try and do a lot of these things in-house than it is to find a partner. Now, I do want to clarify that is on the more technical and more advanced side. So if you're looking at things like RPA is probably right on the line in terms of, yeah, you could probably do that in-house, might be helpful to find a partner. But if you're looking at things like automation within existing systems or taking advantage of some basic AI elements that are in existing systems that you have, right? Yeah, sure. Go on and do that as confident as you feel internally with your teams and skills and capabilities. 
when we're talking about the more advanced functions, it's not just that you don't have to, it's really that you probably should not, that there are just a lot of dangers there. I think one of the other things that I think people get tripped up on, both in terms of things like HR metrics and automation, is thinking that they have to be doing what everybody else is doing. And I really shy away from that. Metrics are always part of a conversation and they should be reflective of your specific business. So for instance, a tech company that has no people who have to work in physical locations or something like that shouldn't have safety probably as a part of their top level HR scorecard. But if you've got a company that runs manufacturing facilities, you probably should have safety as a part of your top level people scorecard. So that's just a simple example of don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses, right? Really pay attention to your business, pay attention to what your needs are, pay attention to what your points of friction are. And whether it's developing metrics or it's working on automation, build solutions that speak to that and help get your specific business where it needs to go to the specific places that it needs to go. Well, I missed the very first phrase you used on this to kick that part off, but you said something like metrics are a, a conversation or something like that, right? This is Yeah, this is yeah. Metrics are part of a conversation. Yes. Who is on the other end of that conversation, ideally? So the way I like to run my models is people analytics as a supportive function of broader HR. And that's not to say that we don't work with directly with the business. That's definitely something that happens. And that if I'm working with another company or advising or consulting with somebody, I'll say that to them as well. If that's the way your business runs, if that's where you feel comfortable, it's not that you can't work directly with the business. But even as we think about the specific metrics that you're looking at, how you calculate them, what fields you're using, things like that are a part of a conversation. The metrics themselves in a grander sense are also part of a larger conversation about HR. And so I really think about people analytics as enabling the other function practitioners to have better conversations. So an example of this, TA metrics, the talent acquisition metrics, something that in theory could be put together and delivered out to the business directly. But one of the things that you see, regardless of the size of the organization or what kind of roles that they're recruiting for, is that conversations around specific roles, specific requisitions will always come up. And so rather than going through this dance of, okay, those things are separate, we've got a, a metrics report that comes out and then some kind of update deck that comes out talking about specific roles or things like that, your TA team or your HR partners are already going to be having that conversation arm them with the TA data, make sure that they have a really good contextual picture of what's going on so that they can say, yes, here's what's going on with that specific role. Oh, and by the way, things are going good generally, or I think we're going to have a problem in this region because there's a new large-scale indirect competitor who's coming in is going to take away a lot of the talent pool or something like that. So I, yeah, that's something that I'm pretty passionate about is just thinking about how the conversations about the information are had and how they serve the business and the partnerships in the business in the best way. Yes. I'm so glad I asked that as a follow-up because I love that approach there. And I think there's some really good takeaways and that's, guess what? It's when you step into an analytics role and some of the leaders I talked to, they said, the pressure is everybody expects you to know the right answer all the time. And sometimes yeah. you're not close <laughs> enough to it. I can pull the data, but someone else that's closer to the problem will may need to translate that into what this looks like in terms of practical outcomes and help me to figure that piece out because you can't know all the things all the time. That's just not, it's not meant to be that way. So I love that you said, Hey, part of this is a little bit of humility to say, we are really great at enabling you to have the most capable and comprehensive conversations you can, 
but it's not about us stepping in and doing that for you. I think that's a really powerful way to say that. Yeah, no, I do. I also will say on the other side of it that I think something analytics teams tend to be overly leery of is not giving advice. And I see this a lot. I gave a talk recently on what do they, quote unquote, mean by insights, right? Because that's become a big conversation in analytics generally, and specifically in people analytics, there's this big push to talking about insights. And I think there's a lot of things to it. I think there's a lot of different pieces, but I think one of them is that people analytics teams specifically, as part of analytics teams more broadly, have been overly cautious about providing insights and speaking into that gray space. And we tend to take an overly, we tend to lean into that position that you're talking about a little bit too much and saying, oh, here's the data, you make your decision. And while I I don't want to counter what I said or what you said at all, that I think there's definitely space for that. I think the danger that we tend to run as people analytics teams is that we rely on that too heavily and we're not willing to take lightly bolder stances and say, hey, we have a better collective picture of the labor market. We have a better collective picture of what enterprise trends and behaviors are like, and we need to give strategic guidance and not just be turning over data products. Had a microphone to drop, that'd be the time to drop it. Right there. (laughs) Goodness, goodness, that's so good. That is so good. Okay, so this has been a tremendous conversation. We've covered so, so much good ground. Would you be okay with people following you on LinkedIn or reach out to connect there? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great thing to do. I also have, it hasn't received nearly as much attention since I started grad school, but I have a blog specifically about people analytics called Better People Data that I've also got some thoughts there where I record these sorts of musings. So I think either way is a good way to get in touch with me and continue the conversation. Wonderful. This has been tremendous. and I've enjoyed it so much. I knew I would already. But whatever that high pedestal that I set you on, you still jumped higher than that bar. I mixed up all those metaphors there, but essentially it was incredible. <laughs> so thank you again, Zach, for spending some time and sharing and being pretty passionate about the space. I really, it really carries through how you share. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed it too. Awesome. To everybody else out there, I hope you got some good notes as I did today. Hope you, goodness, take it to heart. You're getting this straight from someone who's got a chance to do this day to day. So some good recommendations, some good ideas, and some good food for thought as you're figuring out how you can adapt and change and evolve to better serve the people and the organization with analytics and automation and all the other things we have at our fingertips. Thank you all for joining us. We'll catch you next time. We are only human. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 